Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 387 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here in person with Sarah Powers. Woo whoop. Hi, Sarah. Hi from across the room. Yes. This doesn't happen you. very often. I love it. We are in a hotel in, um, well, we're in Grapevine, Texas, right? Um, correct. And this is the one place we can meet where we both get to fly out of our local, small, no-nonsense airports and have a direct flight that is about the same length for each of us. Yep. Um, and so we've come to the Dallas area a couple of times now, and it's great. So we're, we, we, we get together like a couple times a year now. Yeah, it's changed so much since yeah. the pandemic because pre-pandemic, we would meet up at blogging and social media conferences where we were often speaking. And sometimes it was three or four times a year and it, we didn't choose the city because it was wherever it was. Right. Um, and then, you know, then pandemic, we didn't see each other in person for 18 months, a year and a half. We went in 2020 and the first part of 2021. And then since then, I don't think we ever officially like discussed this, but it's kind of like we decided either we're going to visit each other in our home turf. So you came to Santa Barbara once. I went to Chicago once, which is pseudo home turf for you because you right. can drive there or we meet in the middle and only take one airplane. Yep. Um, we haven't really gotten back into the routine of attending a lot of conferences. So it's either Dallas or one of our homes. Yes. <laughs> Dallas or bust, I guess. Dallas or one of us doesn't travel at all. Right. Well, we have a fun episode today, all ready for you all. It's a little bit different. We're doing something a little bit different. Um, we are talking about sleep challenges and hopefully solving or helping with some common sleep challenges for babies and toddlers and little kids. Um, but we are relying on past words of wisdom, Megan, that we have already shared on this podcast. Yes, so we're you will be hearing from yesterday, Megan, and yesterday, Sarah, <laughs> or five years ago, Megan and Sarah. That's right. So we went back through our listener questions episodes and we curated um, some that all revolve around sleep challenges. Um, and we went back and listened and got a kick out of how a lot of the things we would, you know, we said then are what we would say today. Um, I found myself, Megan, thinking about the babies that the moms called in about um, up to like six years ago. Some of these yeah. are several years old. I am so curious. I really want a where are they now and are they sleeping through the night now or did they get over their fear of monsters? So if you listen to this and you hear if one of these is you, I would just be so happy if someone was like, oh, yeah, that was me who asked that question four years ago. And now that kid sleeps great or now they don't. Now we have right. a new challenge. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think that, you know, even though these are like, if you're a longtime listener, if you're especially if you're like someone who went back to the very beginning, 
you've maybe heard this before, but I mean, we've, we said these things and I still thought it was great to go back and reacquaint myself with what I would have said five years ago or, you know, seven years ago or two years ago. Um, I think that we, we were really careful to pull out the ones we thought would be most, I guess, like timelessly helpful. Yeah. And you're going to hear some of our timeless audio from the beginning where it wasn't as good as it is now. But I, I think there's like, it's, it was valuable actually for me to be reacquainted with this content and like what our thoughts were about these things. So definitely, even if you've heard every episode we've ever done, listen to this one because I think you'll get something out of it. Absolutely. Um, But to to add a little fresh take, I wanted us both to answer this question before we launch into the past listener questions. If we have sleep challenges now with our kids the ages they are, because sleep challenges are so it's like all you think about and talk about when you have a newborn through, I don't know. I mean, it, it does peter off like in the school years, I would say for most, mm-hmm. for most people, but the first five years is a lot of sleep challenges. Um, do you have any current quote unquote sleep challenges with kids? Because I know we both have midlife lady sleep yes. challenges and that's not what we're talking about, but with your kids and yours are like 13 and through young adult and mine are nine and through 14. Um, I'm so curious. Well, yes, I don't think, you know, my kids all, some of them were very difficult sleepers when they were little, they all became totally fine sleepers, like in their school aged years. But there is something that happens when they become older kids and teenagers where you lose control of it to some degree. Like I go to bed sometimes hours before my kids. Yeah. And so I'm not going to make them go to bed at 830 just because that's when I like to. Yeah. But it does mean that sometimes I lose a little bit of control of like what actually is happening. So what I would say is right now, my teenagers and especially my young adults, so like my 18, 23 and almost 25 year old, um, it's more of like a sleep hygiene thing. Yes. That they need to learn how to deal with mm-hmm. because I, I can't, you know, follow them around through their lives making them go to bed at the right time and not take their phones to bed with them Yep, and all of those things. And I think they've all in to some degree had to learn the hard way that if they stay up too late, they feel crummy the next day. Or mm-hmm. if they, um, you know, if they have no light source in their bedroom, it's going to be really hard to wake up in the morning or if mm-hmm. they're on their screens too late. Like those are all things from like a, what they call sleep hygiene perspective. Yeah. They're having to learn like, in real time, just like I did at their age. Well, with a lot more distraction. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I guess their problems are theirs now. That's for the most part, Clara is really the only one whose sleep I manage. I feel like she's the one who's most easily, whose sleep is most easily kind of destroyed just by her losing track of time or wanting to talk to her friends or whatever. She's also the most receptive to, um, my input. Okay. And also her bedroom is right across the hall from mine. Uh, she's just the easiest. Yeah. Like I have the most like, uh, instant contact and access to her. Owen's bedroom is in the basement and mm-hmm. I think he's pretty good at putting himself to bed unless he feels like he has something better to do. And, um, you know, as long as they're up in the morning when I need them to be and reasonably yeah. like awake and, uh, alert and in a good mood, you know, not a good mood, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You can, well, you can tell reasonably pleasant. Mm -hmm. Then I can kind of say, okay, well maybe they didn't get quite enough sleep last night, but they're, we'll, we'll make some adjustments. I'll make suggestions, but it's a lot less heavy handed than it was even, you know, three or four years ago for the most of them. Well, and there's a big difference between 13 still being in middle school and 16 and only having a year and a half left in the house, like you're not going. Yes. Um, I, when I had that episode where I talked to Catherine Perlman about phones and technology, I I was reminded like the teenager, it's still a graduated process of the teenagers of how much you are involved. So I think it makes perfect sense that, you know, there would still be some oversight with Clara and a lot less with Owen. And also made me think that when I was 14, I moved bedrooms within my house and I, I didn't, I, on purpose, like I wasn't consciously doing it this way, but I moved to the bedroom. I swapped with my brother and I moved to the bedroom. That was like the one bedroom that was at the total other side of the house from the others. And so I remember keeping very teenage hours and there Mm -hmm. was no one to tell me to go to bed. And those days I was on the phone. So I would be on the phone till 1230 or one in the morning, get up at 630 for school, crash every day after school and take a nap. I mean, you're right. There is a certain amount of 
learning the hard way that has to happen um, that isn't going to happen with parental oversight. Well, and I think the other thing that I have had to do is to like, or that I can be annoyed by, but that I've had to kind of back off is those long extended naps. Yeah. So for a little while, that was getting really annoying to me. You know, you come home the minute you walk in the door, you disappear, go to your bedroom and fall asleep for two and a half hours. And I almost would feel like abandoned. Uh Like, What about me? I wanted to talk to you about your day and like have a snack and that you're just barely showing up for dinner all disheveled. But it is so like such a normal part of the teenage life. Yes. As long as it's not happening every day where I feel like they're disconnecting from all family life. Yeah. Like I've I've had Owen sometimes come home and sleep the entire day. Mm -hmm. If he was doing that every day, that would be a problem. But it's like, you know, once every couple of weeks. And I just I figure, well, he's catching up on some sleep he didn't get. I know teenagers really need a lot of sleep. And so I just have to get over myself a little bit. Yep. I get it. Yeah. Um, so mine are nine, 12 and 14. And it's funny you mentioned like the placement of bedrooms. Cause I really never thought about this until recently, but all of our bedrooms, all four of our bedrooms are very closely clustered at one end of the house, which has pros and cons. It does mean I'm pretty aware. Like I will wake up if someone even goes to the bathroom in the night. It's, it's pretty rare that someone needs me in the middle of the night. Although I've had a couple bad dream visits, even from, a 12 and a half year old, which I still am happy to do nighttime bad dream parenting. I actually really appreciate the opportunity and um, all my kids will get very apologetic for waking me up. Um, and I really try to tell them like, no, this is my job. Like I'm I you can always come mm-hmm. and wake me up. I might act in the moment. And, and you're going to hear a listener question later about those, like how we're not our best at 3 a.m. when someone is waking us up to have a conversation about a bad dream. But that doesn't mean I don't want them to do it. It just right. might mean that I I take a minute to adjust. Um, so I would say we're in we're in a pretty good phase with sleep. Violet, who's nine, um, still really takes a while to wind down at night. And when the school year started, I had to I had to work backwards and declare that her not, it's not really a bedtime, but the time where she is retiring to her chamber is 7.30, which is really pretty early for a fourth grader. Well, maybe not. Maybe those of you listening, maybe it's right in the middle somewhere. It felt kind of early to me because she had crept later and later toward the big kids. But what I realized is she just takes a long time for her little like ultraviolet system to start to power down. So instead of getting frustrated that she wasn't falling asleep soon enough or that she was up till 10, I just moved it earlier. So she goes back at 7.30, brushes her teeth. She can draw. She can read. She can do homework. Um, she can listen to an audiobook, And then there's kind of like a graduated. I don't remember what it is. I wrote it down <laughs> for her. But it's like 815. She needs to be either just reading her audiobook, And then that will finally like start the process. But I, she just takes longer. And so I moved it earlier. So that was one of our challenges this fall. But I would say it's it's working well because what wasn't working well is sending her back there at 815, 830 and then being frustrated that she was taking an hour and a half to fall asleep. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. 
Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah. So in this first part, we are starting with back-to-back questions that both involve nighttime fears or like, I guess, reluctance to go to bed. (laughs) Yes, because monsters, because hashtag monsters. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, this was really fun to listen back to because we're going to hear from moms of kids of very different ages, toddler and school aged kids and and different types of fears. Um, And I think when you compare our two responses, Megan, there's um, we we decided to include them both because the ages are so different and the way you deal with toddler bedtime fears versus a school age kid waking up is very different. And, and while there's consistency, I would say in our advice, uh, we get into different tips and strategies with the two questions. So this is going to be fun. We will now hear from Laura and Brady. Hi, Megan and Sarah. I'm Laura, mom of a two and a half year old girl and an eight month old baby boy. I'm calling because our two and a half year old has suddenly developed an extreme fear at bedtime of basically the shadows on her wall, but she's calling them ghosts and monsters. I don't know where the ghosts and monsters came from. I didn't even know that she knew what they were until a few weeks ago when the fear started. And I'm looking for ideas on how to help her basically go to sleep on her own again and not be so afraid. We've tried leaving the light on. That doesn't help because it doesn't get rid of shadows. We leave the door open. We put her to bed, stay for a little bit, leave, come back, check on her. But she's just basically freaks out until she either totally passes out from exhaustion or one of us gives in and stays in the room with her until she falls asleep. Basically, what I've read is, you know, it's just a phase and it'll stop eventually, but I'd like to do whatever I can to help her feel better and to maybe make this phase get over a little bit faster. So whatever advice you have about helping toddlers who are afraid of the dark and bedtime and shadows, I'd love to hear it. Thank you. Okay, Laura. So this is, like I said, it's kind of a big one. I almost feel like there's two different things that I want to address here. Um, One is like, one is the fear itself, because my kids have definitely gone through fears. And I know some of your kids have too, Megan, where it's kind of like, you know, monsters, vampires, death like scary stuff in the night that's one piece of this and the other is just um being ready or willing to sleep on their own and having separation anxiety at night because I think sometimes you can have those sleep issues without the fear of monsters so it's a it's kind of two different things but they're both super common so I'll try and throw some ideas out and then Megan I'm really eager to see what you're gonna say because you did things differently you co-slept and I know we I like that we bring different things to this um yes Okay, so my, my first thought for a two-and-a-half-year-old um, is to make sure that that bedtime routine is long enough. So if you need to start earlier for a few weeks, which I know sounds like torture, and we're so busy and we're working, so maybe it's not practical, but if you can, starting the routine earlier. And I was going to suggest building a couple things into the bedtime routine that maybe are a little novel, something new, um, not super exciting to get her all ramped up. But a couple of my ideas were like listening to a sleep meditation or like an audiobook together, something that maybe you do each night that she can look forward to that has nothing to do with addressing the fear. I'm I'm not even bringing the fear into it. I'm just suggesting make the bedtime routine started a little earlier because you know there's going to be some back and forth drama and maybe add something in that's like, hey, we're going to try this. We're going to listen to an audiobook together every night that she kind of looks forward to. It might just be a little bit of 
distraction, but it also can work toward that calming down and not having bedtime be associated with the fear. So that's that's one thing. Another little tip I was going to offer is if she's a because it sounds like they have to keep going back in and turning on the lights. And we've all been there, Laura. Like it's not you're not alone. <laughs> no, you're not alone. Far from it. No. But one thing I think can help with that is if you kind of um, break that separation down into manageable chunks, because remember, this child is genuinely afraid that when you leave, the monsters are going to come out. And even though we know that's not rational, that's totally irrelevant because her fear is very real. Um, so instead of, you know, she's, she's worried that once you leave, bad things are going to happen or you're never going to come back. So you could say something like, okay, I'm going to tuck you in and I'm going to leave the door open and I'm going to go do some dinner dishes for 10 minutes and I'm going to come back to check on you. And when I come back, we're going to sing a lullaby or we're going to read one more story. So you're almost building in short, um, little manageable bits of separation into that routine. So she knows you're coming back. And in an ideal world, she might even fall asleep in that 10 minutes. But they know they know where you are. They know where you're going. You can leave the light on. You don't even have to tell them to go to sleep. That's another thing I was going to say is sometimes kids get really like they're like, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. And I sometimes will say even to my older kids, you don't have to sleep. You just need to lie here quietly or you just need to lie here and calm down. So those were a few of my first like practical things. I don't know if anything comes to mind. Oh, yeah. No, I love your last strategy. I have always thought of that as kind of like the gradual fake out. Yeah. So and of all of the of all of the nighttime fear strategies that I've been able to employ besides just lying down with your kid and sleeping next to them, that's been my most successful. Um, Here's why it's so successful. For one thing, yes, the kid's not asleep, but it's still getting you what you need, which is some time. Maybe Mm -hmm. you need to do the dinner dishes. And so when you say I'll be back in 10 minutes to check on you because I have to go do the dinner dishes, it's because you really have to. Right. So you're kind of achieving two goals that they're in the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're feeling like at least you are hearing them mm-hmm. and are taking them seriously, but you still get to go do the dishes with the kid in bed. They might right. not be asleep, but you're still you're closer to the goal than you otherwise would be. And I have found that that is the most effective one, the most effective way to have a kid fall asleep while you're out of the room. Right. And um, not even mean to. And then the next day you can say, remember how it was last night where you were so afraid And I said, I would come back and check on you. Well, and sometimes I lie a little bit. Like I came back and checked on you in seven minutes and you were already asleep, even if that's a total lie. And it was like 20 minutes. Like sometimes I just think it's like you, they need the confidence. to Yeah. Like they were successful. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I love that. I am curious with your co-sleeping toddlers, like how it worked in general, if a kid wanted you to lie with them, did you ever do things like I'm going to lie with you for because you weren't always going to go to bed at eight or eight thirty, right? No, and some well, and I wasn't always co-sleeping with toddlers of that age either. So okay. that kind of depended on the kid and whether they had an older sibling to bunk okay. up with or what or what they're you know. I had I had five obviously, and so some of them took pretty readily to sleeping on their own as soon as they were you know like eighteen months. Okay, and okay. some did not. Right. Um. So it kind of depended on the stage. Um. Owen was the one who had true night terrors. And, mm-hmm. you know, the funny thing about night terrors is they look like terror, but the kid doesn't have any idea what's going no, on. So it's not like the next day they yeah. don't remember. They can't tell and you. And they're not telling you about monsters like this child. No, it's like they totally, didn't have like yeah. it's not like a bad dream or like they can say, Mommy, I was so scared last night. They don't even remember. No, so they don't. that was and. But the thing about Owen was when he outgrew the night terrors, he still had a lot of nighttime fears, like a mm-hmm. lot. So he outgrew the blank faced screaming <laughs> at nothing, which was like a very, very stressful. And it oh. lasted like over a year where he oh was waking gosh. up three to four nights a week, just screaming. And we could never figure out what was wrong with him. Um, yeah, that was cruddy. But once he outgrew that, he still just had a lot of anxieties at night. Now they were yeah. stuff he could come tell me. Like right. he would come stand next to my bed and scare the living daylights out of me. <laughs> Cause he would just silently stand next to me. And then I'd wake up and there's a face like right by your face. Yeah. You know, so um, in that case, I would sometimes bring him to the bed. Sometimes I'd make a little bed for him on the floor next to me Um, when he was really little and was just having a real fear and not like night terror. Then I would sometimes lay down with him, let him fall asleep and go go about my business for the rest of the night and then come back and move him. I think for him, it was like letting him like letting him get into a deep sleep in a place where he felt safe. Yeah. Um, And that's been the case with other. He just stands out as the most obvious one. I know I've had moments like that with all of them where it's like, okay, you know, this is like, I'm just trying to figure out how I can get them. The goal for both of us is for them to be asleep and to get a good night's sleep. So what's the, 
like easiest and least stressful way that we can do that tonight. And so I, I did tend to kind of more often than some parents would be um, comfortable with go in the route of me lying down with them or them yeah. coming lying and down I don't, with me. I don't it think worked. that's a bad thing. Um, yeah, I think so. I want to address a couple of things that Laura said in her question. One, it does sound like they are trying lots of strategies. It also sounds like she knows this is a phase and it will pass, which is great. Um, sh- you might, Laura, want to pick a strategy and kind of write it out for like a week, both for your for your case and for your daughter's case, because I think sometimes we're so frustrated and we like, yeah. you know, that feeling, Megan, when you're like white knuckling as it gets closer to bedtime, because, you, yes, know, you know, this know battle's coming. coming and like, so picking one thing because sleep, sleep is so much about like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like, yes. that's just if we ever did an episode just on you know, baby and toddler sleep. It's like, well, it depends. Like it depends on the kid. Yeah. It depends on you, but it might be worth kind of, um, I think a two and a half year old's old enough to understand like, okay, we're going to try something new with our routine, whether it's listening to the audiobook or doing this like gradual separation and then really stick with it for a week or something and just see what happens because yes, it is going to pass. And I think Laura's really looking for, you know, her, her daughter's miserable. They're both miserable. Right. So it's hard. It is hard when you're trying trying things and I don't know, trying to figure out what works. Oh, let's talk about the fear, the specific fears quickly, because I just went through this with Reed, which is funny because he's probably the age that Owen was when you talked about Owen's nighttime yeah. fears. Um, so he's older. But in in kind of working with him, I was reminded that, like, you can't rationalize nighttime fears with a kid, whether they're two and a half you or eight. So. It's really tempting to be like, oh, sweetie, monsters aren't real. See, let me turn on the light and show you. And I think if you're saying that kind of thing, it's fine if you say it once. But you could go around and around in circles with a child who's afraid and no amount of logicalizing. Right. No, I, well, because the fear them. is so normal and primal and it's really not it really isn't coming from it's not really about the monster. No, right? it's, no. it's something else. Case in point, when I was at least eight, possibly nine or 10 years old. I had a crippling nighttime fear of a man in a top hat who would stand outside my window on, on stilts. That's I lived in a, my bedroom was on the second story. He looked like an old timey, like, um, like magician. Yes. With like a terrifying. curly mustache. And why would I ever even think about someone like this? Like, it's not yeah. like I was watching old timey magician movies. Yeah. It just popped into my head. And had you come and talk to me during the day, I would have acknowledged this is a ridiculous fear. I am yeah. way too old to be afraid of a man on stilts outside of my window. However, whatever was working itself out in my psyche mm-hmm. just manifested itself yeah. in that. And and you could have proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that it didn't exist and I would have found something else to be afraid right. of. It exactly. was like a fearful time for me. And so, yeah, there's just two and a half, ten, doesn't matter. Right. And the other thing is the fear is really, really real. Like if you as a yeah. mom are afraid of, you know, something awful happening to your children, like we've all imagined, think of how that fear makes you feel like you feel panicky or heart beats. You're like, that's as real as the fear that you're two and a half year old is having about monsters. So it really doesn't matter that monsters aren't real. The fear is absolutely right. real and the feeling of fear. And so I think um, you can empathize with that and just be like, yeah, that that would be really scary. Like, I can tell you feel really scared and then move on, then move on to like the distraction yeah. and the strategies. And you're not minimizing it. You're just not spending a lot of time like trying to explain your their way out of it because that is generally not helpful I don't so Sarah I'm curious did you ever do like the monster spray approach or anything like that I I never did I didn't I'm intrigued by it I know it's work I know it works for some parents I just I just never did so when I read that book the opposite of worry recently and I've talked about it I'll link it up again what he said about it and I think this was interesting he said for kids who know that it's a game and it lets them act out a little bit of aggression or like Let's them feel powerful. And I'm picturing more of like a six or seven year old, like pow, pow, let's get all the monsters before bed. He said it can be really um, like cathartic kind of because they can step into that role of power and feel that he didn't recommend it as like actually telling kids that that is really the way it works. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. So if a kid can buy into it as a make believe game and use it to to role play, then yeah. it can be great. Um, but to tell a kid that that is really monster spray, it isn't necessarily 
going to help. Because first well, of all, cause you know, when the monsters show up, you're going to look like a liar. <laughs> right. And they're going to need that spray everywhere they go. Exactly. Um, well, right. That's why I guess that was always my kind of like it felt a little patronizing or like yes. it was just a bandaid that wasn't going to help. But sometimes what you need is a bandaid. And if something gets you through if one it night, works, if, it if it works, works for a night or for a month, yes. I mean, hard to argue with that. Totally. So totally. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'm going to mention, then we'll move on, is that I'm going to there's a link I'm going to put in the show notes and I won't even go through it, but it was a pretty detailed article with some other strategies for toddlers and nighttime fear. And most of the strategies had to do with kind of prevention tactics during the day. Um, you know, making sure kids are like getting lots of playtime, blah, blah, blah. There's a yeah. lot of like good strategies because so much of sleep is related to what are we doing? It carries over the from day. the daytime. Right? right. And if they haven't had a chance to wind down or they didn't feel like their needs were met during the day, exactly. I mean, it all carries forward. Exactly. So. And so I won't even, like I said, I won't even paraphrase, but it'll be in the show notes at the momhour.com and it's from ahaparenting.com, which is a website that I love. And it's, it was actually really detailed. So I'm just going to link it up there. Okay, our next question comes from Brady, and she said, Hello, ladies. I was wondering if you have any wisdom about when kids get out of bed in the middle of the night saying they're scared. My six-year-old son does this often and has for about three years. Not every night, but maybe once or twice a month. So first of all, I'll just pause there and say that's a little different than if it were every night. Once or twice a month. Yeah, still something she wants to address. Totally Yes. Cool, but different than nightly. In the middle of the night, he'll creep into our room saying he had a bad dream. His end game is wanting to sleep in our bed, which we don't allow due to my husband's early work schedule. So I groggily walk him back upstairs to his room and he usually goes back to sleep without a fight. I guess I should be glad he goes back to bed relatively easily. But unfortunately, I have a really short fuse at 3 a.m. Don't do most we of all? us. Yes. Yes. The only ones who don't probably are the ones who just haven't slept through the night in years. <laughs> yes. And then you're just so used to it. I, I have found sidebar that the better my kids sleep, the worse I am about getting up in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Once you're, once you're out of that phase, like it's so hard to go back. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, it's very difficult for me to muster up comforting and reassuring words when I'm half asleep, which I totally can relate to. So how do you handle this? Any tips or tricks, or do I just chalk it up to this being another difficult, but unavoidable aspect of parenting? Thank you. Love you guys, Brady. Um, Yes and yes and yes. Okay, so it it could be one of those difficult but unavoidable aspects of parenting. I think that I've had at least two, maybe three kids for whom the nighttime visits um, <laughs> have persisted and been a thing um, to different degrees. Sometimes it's the once or twice a month. Sometimes it's like, you know, a couple times a week. Um, I've had a few that it's almost nightly for a while. Uh, so first of all, I guess just to reassure, like, I don't think you owe your kid super comforting and reassuring words <laughs> at 3 a.m. I think the fact that you're getting out of bed is more than and like walking them to their room is more than I often could muster up um, the energy for or even just like the ability to do at that time of the night. When my when Owen, I think I wrote about this, maybe I don't remember where I wrote about yeah, this. Yeah, I definitely read Washington and heard Post about or something. Owen. Yeah. Um, he had such a long string of, of those kind of nighttime wakings that I actually had like a little bed on the floor um, next to my bed that he could just like, he knew better than to wake. Cause for a while he would just stand next to my bed. I guess not wanting to wake me, but he would stare at me. And then, you know, that feeling you get when you know, someone's looking at you and I'd wake up and be like, ah, so um, I told him, just don't do that anymore. If you come in my room and like, and we're asleep, just lay on the floor and go back to sleep. So we were kind of able to train him into doing that. And I knew because he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting into my bed with me and sleeping in my bed. Um, not to say I never let him do that, but it was really, really rare. He really was only doing it when he was truly afraid. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, I, I never felt manipulated by him. There's been other kids in my house that shall remain nameless who <laughs> I know were just trying to get my attention. Yeah. Trying to get in the bed. Like you can kind of tell the difference, I think. Um, and how you react can be different, but I think your, your ability to sleep matters too. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess I don't really know that there's one solution. I think it could be many different solutions. Um, but like, it's okay that you don't feel super nurturing at 3 a.m. I agree. Um, a couple of great things I think about this situation, and I'd probably have different things to say. First of all, if it was happening every night, 
And if the child were in real emotional distress from right. nightmares or night wakings, I would, my advice would be a little different. So what, what is interesting about this case is it's not every night and he goes to sleep on his own relatively easily, which yes. is great because he, I'm sure he is having a bad dream and he would love to be close to mom and dad, but he's 80% of the way there to yeah. be, to having really good soothing skills. So with a six-year-old, um, I, I have been very honest with my kids that, you know, mom and dad need our sleep and in our house. This is when I go to my in our family, we or in our house, you know, everyone sleeps in their own bed and, you know, we have a goal to sleep there all night. I will always help you if you need something in the night, but let's set you up with a few tools in your room so that maybe you don't even need me and we can all sleep a little bit better. And that's when you start to pull out things like, you know, give him a few, a sequence of things that he can try in his own room before he comes to get you. And maybe it's as simple as a little nightlight that he could turn on or, um, like a few, I mean, there's, we've done a lot with my younger two kids who have nighttime fears about like, um, breathing exercises or meditation or little, little things you can learn, just download the calm app or there's a million things you can do, but some little counting exercise or meditation exercise, a little nightlight, um, any, any little sequence of events that he feels like I'm going to try these three things before I get mom. And then the next thing I was going to say is what you said, which is I have tried to be as boring as possible in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, which is. I don't ever want my kids to feel like they can't come to me or call for me. So I, I would never say you can't, but I'm going to be as uninteresting and as minimally helpful, like provide the minimum yes. amount of help and support. And of course, I am not talking about a kid in major distress here. I'm talking right. about the kid who is standing like, oh, and so making a bed that they can um, get into, I think, is a great example of that. Like, yep, you can come be closer to me. Just, you know, you don't need to wake me up because here's your bed. Um, I've also employed the least interesting parent. So I know later in this episode, we're going to talk about um, having a strong parental pe- preference. If the preference is for me, I have sometimes said things like, you know, mom has been getting woken up a lot in the middle of the night lately. So for the next couple of nights, it's going to be dad on duty. And it's amazing how the needs just seem like, to hmm, reduce themselves yes. because Mom was the one they wanted. They knew they could have a parent, a very nurturing, responsive parent, but they were like, eh, I don't really care. (laughs) Right. Yes. Because what they want is mom. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So the bed on the floor, the least interesting parent, or sometimes it's a matter of kind of weaning the amount of involvement. So you might say, oh, I'm so sorry you had a bad dream. Um, I'm not able to walk you back to your room right now, but I'll keep a flashlight by my bed so that you can escort escort yourself back. Like, so you're, you're meeting them halfway, but you're, you're making it slightly inconvenient and uncomfortable for them to go through these hoops. Right. Is it worth it for them to get out of bed? Exactly. Exactly. And come and visit you. And if, the- if all you're doing is grunting, like <laughs> I remember doing that, that sort of like half-hearted, like, mm, and like kind of patting their back and then being like, go back to bed. And really like talking very low, yeah. like just not kind of the way you would do with a baby in the middle of the night if you didn't want them to fully rouse, mm-hmm. because you also don't want to stimulate them. They might be coming to you in a very like half-sleeping like reflexive way. Right. They don't even really know what they're right. doing. Yeah. And that's why I think having a couple tools or something to expect, it just might like there he's showing up because that's what he does and you're responding in the way you always have. But, um, and, and again, I think all of this is because he's already doing a really good job. He's already right. showing he's not terrified in his room. He's able to go back to sleep on his own. So you're 80% of the way there. You just get yeah. to set, I think probably, especially because he's six and not two and a half or three, you get yes. to set some realistic boundaries that will put you back to sleeping all the way through the night without, without, you know, making him feel abandoned or hurt. Cause it's, cause you're yeah. almost there. I think. So. I think you're right. And I think that probably by the time Brady hears this, this will have been resolved. Like my feeling is if a kid is that close, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're like almost, they're just weaning themselves off or maybe they're going through a little phase at night where they're, and they're coming up on a developmental milestone and they're having some sleep interruptions. And often this stuff just kind of works itself out. Yeah. Um, when it's that, when they're that old and it's that infrequent. And like you said, Sarah, they're not in super distress. It's probably already phasing out without you having to do much more. Yeah. All right. Solved that one. Solved. All right. (laughs) Moving on. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. 
The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. All right, Megan. So this next pair of questions, and and they are a pair because they both involve one of our favorite years of early childhood, one-year-olds. <laughs> um, I think one of these babies is is newly one or about to be one, and the other's like 15 months. And the questions are about different sleep issues, but I just, moment of appreciation for sleep challenges with one and two-year-olds mm. because in my memory, I really thought, I've said this on the podcast before, I naively thought that the challenge of sleep was to get a nursing newborn <laughs> to go longer and longer stretches until they got to eight or 10 or 12 or whatever the thing and then was. that was it. And that was it. Then you were done. No, that's just the warm up. That's like, that's like <laughs> literally not even it. That's right. like so not even the it of it yes. of sleep challenges. So I just remember being kind of disheartened with my first one-year-old of being like, oh, now there's like, there's other things. It's, it could be dropping a nap. It could be some of, um, like climbing out of a crib. It could be transitioning to a big kid bed that we're going to hear from, but it just doesn't end. And so I have a a special compassion because one-year-olds are so much during the day. There's so much, they just have so much going on. I'm thinking of, um, our team member, Katie Parrish in the last few weeks was transitioning her little one to a Big kid bed, right? Well, not out of by the choice because he oh, right. st- started crawling <laughs> he out. Started to start climbing out. So she was sending us like she was working from the hallway. Yep, like sitting on the floor outside of his bedroom. Yep, um, working because she had to like get the situation under control. And it was just like that muscle memory. Like, oh, yeah. Remember when like a toddler starts to figure out they can do stuff that you weren't ready for them uh-huh. to do yet? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Or when like let's say you did have a good infant sleeper, and I. I know this happens to so many moms where you're like, oh, I'm such a good mom. Like my infant slept through the night at three months and like sleeps 12 hours a night. And then just something happens that something could be starting a new daycare. It could be a sibling arriving. It could be just a developmental growth spurt. But yeah, there's something really just frustrating to deal with um, sleep challenges for, I think, young toddlers, especially. So we are going to hear from. Samantha and Amanda, who both wrote to us or called in with sleep challenges about one-year-olds. Okay. Samantha sent this in by recording her voice and emailing it to us, which you can always do. We love to hear your voices. So let's go ahead and listen to Samantha's question now. Hey guys, my name is Samantha. I'm from Michigan. I have a daughter who is almost one year old and we are looking at starting the transition to her big girl bedroom 
we are starting to think about expanding our family and I want to give her plenty of time to make the transition so we're not worried about new baby plus new bedroom and all of that fun stuff. My question is, are there any tips and tricks that you guys have found to make that transition a little bit easier? We tried nap time in her big girl bedroom the other day and it was a great game that we were playing to get off the bed and then mommy would put us back on the bed and then we'd crawl over and we'd jump off the bed and back and forth and we ended up doing nap time back in the crib. So any tips on getting her to stay in her bed when it's time to sleep or is that something that she will just learn as we go? Okay, Samantha. So I don't know about you, Megan, if you picked up on this, but I feel like Samantha is a planner, kind of like me. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking six months ahead, or in her case, one kid ahead. And um, I think that's really normal. And I think a lot of moms do it. Um, I think in this case, it might be getting her so far ahead of herself that this baby might not be quite ready, to be honest. That struck me. I I think one, I think if... You know, it's kind of like we've talked about potty training before. You can do it the hard way for a year or the easy way in two weeks. And I think uh, when you start that young, if they're just really not ready for it, you're kind of working against yourself and you're working against their developmental abilities um, and just kind of creating a lot of work. So I just want to set that. I mean... I think it's cool to be and smart to be thinking ahead, but if you are thinking ahead so hard that you're ahead of yourself, well, you're not coming out ahead. And I think (laughs) what I was going to sort of start with is I think it's totally possible to think ahead and plan ahead without actually expecting your 11 month old to sleep in her big girl bed. So I think both are kind of possible. And I am that planner type. So just for context, um, I moved my first child from a crib to a big girl bed about two months before she turned two. So she was actually still one, maybe a month before she was like 22 months maybe 23 months. And that was in preparation for a sibling. She was very uh, mature and rule following and compliant and still is to this day. So that was one situation. My second child, I kept in the crib until he was almost three, even after I had had a new baby. So a sibling can prompt this, but a sibling I don't think has to boot the first kid out, especially if you space your kids close. There's lots of, there's lots of alternatives. We kept our third baby with us in our room longer than I typically did. Um, knowing that I wanted to keep the, the middle child in his crib, he wasn't ready to move. And I wasn't ready to be dealing with a crib to bed transition with one kid and then a new baby. Cause again, this was with babies two and three. So I kept him in the crib in the nursery for almost, I want to say four or five months until the new baby was sleeping slightly better. And I knew he was really ready. So those are kind of two extremes. I moved one kid before she was two and one was three. And I think a lot of kids are kind of right in the middle. Um, one is really, really young is one thing it I would say really to Samantha. Yeah. The other thing I would say, because she talked about nap time, is nap time is way harder than bedtime for introducing a new bed situation, I think. And that's that's, um, I think, not just a big kid bed. But Megan, you did co-sleeping. So, you know, anything from getting them to fall asleep without you or whatever mm-hmm. new transition you're introducing. Don't you think nap is harder than bed just because they're thinking, yeah, more awake about that? Yeah, they're more awake and you're interrupting their day. There's not usually as much time to do like it always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit when I read the articles that tell you to like have a nap time routine that, right. that takes like a half hour. Right. I mean, most moms, you might have that at the end of the day, but most moms don't yeah. have several half hour chunks like they can just drop everything yeah. and then go do a bath in the middle right. of the day or something. Right. So, um, yeah, I agree. Like naps and naps, unless you're really scheduled with naps. And I never really was like bedtime happened more or less the same time every night. Right. Nap times were a little more flexible in my house. So those were also like the kid would be like, just like the fact that they had to have a nap in the first place was already kind of like what? And then, yeah. you know, oh, it's going to be in this place. I don't yeah. think so. so well, and yeah. I, I was structured about naps, but not. But I still think the day, the fact that it's daylight and the fact that they're natural sleepiness, unless you just drove them around in the car until they're half zonked, they just are not as sleepy and therefore way more like she said in her message, like, oh, this is a fun game. Like, this is a fun new bed. So, Samantha, I'm not saying you did this wrong at all. I'm just saying it will get easier both with age and 
I probably wouldn't start with naps. I would probably start with, with bed where you can take the time, like you said, and lower the lights and all that. The other thing I was going to say is that beds, the thing about bedrooms is, which I think can be very confusing, especially for a really young toddler, is that the place where you sleep is often the place where you play. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have a separate playroom where the kids like literally never play in their bedrooms. Right. I think that even makes it more confusing sometimes for little ones. They're like, wait, I mean, especially if it's broad daylight. Right. And they're, you know, they've been sitting on the floor you know, playing with their blocks or whatever. And now it's like, okay, and now it's time to lay down. It's like, well, but no, the the blocks are right there. I can see them. Yeah. So yeah. Um, One thing that popped into my head is I think having started this transition so far in advance, um, you do have a great opportunity to take your time just introducing this room as the place, like the idea. Yeah. Like this is now going to be, this is your room. This is your bedroom. Sleep happens here. But I don't think it has to mean all of a sudden, like, this is all going to come together and, the, right. and your little girl's going to be sleeping there. Well, night. and if I had to guess, I think Samantha's also thinking ahead to future babies, which she mentioned, right. and like wanting to have plenty of time to adjust and not wanting to have the the oldest feel displaced. And I think those right. are I think those are all great considerations. I just don't think it takes a year. Um, I think having a buffer. And so that kind of comes back to the way I did it. I did it on with one kid. I wanted a couple of months before the new baby arrived to help with the transition. And then on the other end, I waited till after the baby was born. And then I waited another few months. So as long as you're not doing it, like the day you bring the new baby home from the hospital, that would be jarring. That could feel like, (laughs) oh, man, now I I don't get to sleep out. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think there's probably I would think six to eight weeks on either end or a couple, two or three months is plenty. Um. And also, just to go back to what I said earlier, keeping one child in a crib past a new baby's arrival, you have lots of options. You can go pack yeah. and play for the first few months. You can borrow a second crib. I, I mean, I know lots of families who have had two cribs and rocked two cribs for, you know, a good amount of time. And also, if you have bedroom choices, and maybe she's thinking about, like, moving a bedroom or redecorating a bedroom for a new baby. And we we moved a couple of times when new babies were coming. So that always felt like that was also a consideration. You can always set up the crib in what will be the big girl room, but have it be a crib for a little bit longer, I guess. I, I guess I'm just saying there's options. There are options. I was actually, that was the other thing I was going to say is, um, you know, the, maybe moving the bed, the sleep environment that the baby is used to and uh-huh. one still is a baby um, into the new sleeping space. You know, you and I don't know. Do they make convertible cribs anymore? They we had one. I don't know if they make them anymore. They do. They do. Okay. Uh, my experience and a lot of people I've talked to is like if you're planning to have two or three kids in a row, you end up just using the crib for the next baby, right? And buying an inexpensive toddler bed or just right. or just going right to a full size bed. Um, right. So it, it, unless it's your last kid or there's a big gap in between kids. I've never I don't know a lot of people who've used the convertible function, but they do make them. Um, They also make toddler beds, which I think look adorable. Um, But I think kids grow out of them pretty fast. So I and I never had success with the toddler beds because they're so close to the floor. Honestly, I felt like it invited my kid to get off the bed. Right. I I don't know what it is about it. Yeah. Psychologically, I look at it and think I wouldn't stay in that thing. Right. Well, actually, I'm (laughs) glad you mentioned that because one other thing I wanted to mention is the safety rails that they make for full size beds. So let's say you have a, a twin or a double, but a regular bed that a grown up mm-hmm. could sleep in. Um, they make these inexpensive bed rails and they're, they're not very pretty, but you only use them for whatever, a, a few while, months yeah. until, um, but my kids were honestly fooled. They thought they were still in a crib because right. these bed rails, if one <laughs> end is up against the wall, say, um, and the other has this bed rail, it is the height of like, say a crib mattress to right. the height of a yep. crib. Are you talking about the mesh ones? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they're a pain for grownups to get in. I mean, I remember trying to crawl in to read my kid a story and I'm like, Pregnant, and they're not—they're not the greatest thing for long term. But I will say they fool some little toddlers into really—they feel like they're still confined. So yeah. um, that is another, especially with those you know, the, like hers who wants to play and thinks it's fun to get in and out. Um, having a little bit of barrier can actually—I think sometimes they just think that they can't get they out can't, for a they while. Think they can't. Well, yeah. and along those same lines, and yes, I, I think my kids were fooled by those as well. We use those for at least one or maybe two kids just yeah. in a regular twin bed. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say when, you know, the last crib I owned had been bought maybe when William was a baby, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so that was made before they banned the drop sides. 
So the when you converted it to a toddler bed, it really just looked like a crib, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was yeah. like lower to the right. ground right, right, right. and like the drop the side came yes. off. But it's still and I don't know if they st- if that's what they still look like when that's what I'm getting at. Like if yeah. that's what a, a convertible crib so. still looks like. Yeah. Um, but the it just felt like he was still in a crib. I think the fact that it was still a crib mm-hmm. and it was still the same crib that he'd slept in before. Mm-hmm. Um, made him just kind of even though there's no side on it, yeah. he could easily get yeah. out. It was like he just didn't. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was a little bit. It's like the psychology. Yeah, it's it just, is the psychology. And yeah. I want to say one more thing before we wrap up this question. More on like kind of the parenting side of this. Yeah, because Samantha's starting so early. Like you said, there's lots of time to make the transition. And I, I would recommend too that you let whatever your um child's reaction to all this be let it be okay because you've got time so if she really resists the idea sometimes we fall into this habit of being like but you're a big girl now and you get this special bed and I bought the pillows and isn't it pretty Mm -hmm. and this gets to be your new place well not all kids really like change or right like some yeah and even (laughs) as young as one years old might kind of that might backfire not all kids want to be a big kid or or hearing that they have to make a transition can Mm -hmm. be not did not have the effect that you hoped it would as like an incentive or a fun thing. So the nice thing about having time is if her little one is resistant to this right now, I would back off. If she shows interest, then that's cool too. Like kind of let it be in flux, which is hard if you're a planner, but letting it be in flux and, and trying not to have like a top down expectation of how things are going to go. Because as we know, just like with potty training, like the harder we want them to want to do it, like the more they push back, even these tiny little toddlers that barely can talk, you know, there's a little bit of like, mom wants me to do this. So I'm going to have a power struggle about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's good advice. Moving on. Do you want to set this one up for Amanda? Are you looking at it? Yeah, I am. Um, Okay. So Amanda's question is, my question is, did either of you co-sleep with your kids? Gabriel sleeps in bed with us right or wrong. He does and has since like six months. I never wanted to do it. I planned to have him in the crib right away, but it didn't happen. When he was born, my husband worked the graveyard night shift. So I felt more comfortable with him closer to me so I could get up and nurse and be close if he needed anything. But now that we have switched roles and I work graveyard, it hasn't stopped. At home when I sleep during the day, Gabriel naps with me. And at night he sleeps in my bed with my husband. I know he's getting too old to co-sleep and I know we need to transition him to his own crib, but I just don't even know how. We have the crib set up by our bed, but when we put him in there, he cries. We are struggling with a bedtime routine because my husband and I have abnormal lives and work schedules. So he is up usually until 1030 or 11. But at that point, we just want to get him in bed and asleep. Any advice here would be great. And he's, okay. I think Gabriel's 15 months. She's he's 15 months. Just for the context. So I was a long-term co-sleeper with all of my kids. I have been exactly where you are, Amanda. And I've been in the place where it's like, too late to be- go back <laughs> and start the other way. Um, but almost also too late. It's, it's like you get to that point where you have to decide, are we going to have some nights that really suck right now? Are we going to have them later? Yeah. Am I just going to wait this out and kind of have nights that, you know, like if you're getting okay sleep, is it worth just waiting it out until he's big enough to move him into a, a toddler bed or some, a bed that he feels more comfortable in? I mean, I hesitate to give really hard advice on this because it's so personal and people do sleep train. I mean, that's basically what you're doing would be sleep training a a 15 month old at this point, Mm -hmm. because you'd be completely re um, you'd be completely um, reshaping the way he falls asleep, Mm -hmm. where he sleeps. It's a big Mm -hmm. deal at that age. He's very used to what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I would do sometimes at that age, because that's when they start to get a little big and if they kick and it's, not easy to sleep with them is let them fall asleep with you and then move them into their crib. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read about people doing things like moving them, then moving the crib, like slowly across the room and then out in the hall and then <laughs> down the hallway. I mean, I've heard people go yeah. through these strategies. There was a book out and I want to say there was one that was for babies. Um, and it was, I think it was about geared toward moms who co-slept or parents who co-slept. And then there was like a toddler version where they had some different strategies for mm-hmm. getting around that. But I guess the question I come back to is, you say he's getting too old. Well, why? Is yeah. that because other people say that? Yeah. Is it because that's what you really think? Is it because you're not sleeping well? Is it because he's right. not sleeping well? I think that's your answer. If if he's sleeping well, you're sleeping well, and you're fine with the arrangement, then other people don't. It's nobody's business. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. no one's going to be coming in your bedroom at night, and you know, super nanny is not going to be knocking at your door. Um, I will also say that even though all five of my kids co-slept quite quite long they all 
are fine. No, they're fine sleepers. One nice thing is they can kind of sleep anywhere, which is, mm-hmm. has been actually kind of nice. Like we can, we travel a lot, we can visit family and they can always find a place that they can easily mm-hmm. fall asleep. So I don't know. I feel like I just rambled a whole bunch. No, <laughs> I guess if I could give any advice, it's just figure out why you want to change it. And before you decide to change it. Yeah, no, you said exactly what I was going to say, which is, um, do, are you happy with the current arrangement? And if so, then I, I agree. I think yeah. that that that's the only thing that matters. I went to when I was pregnant with my first. I went to this like a baby event, and there was a sleep person speaking who had a very gentle, you know, very gentle approach. But she did, she was a sleep trainer, but she incorporated a lot of info for parents who chose to co sleep. And her um, one thing she said that stuck with me is there's a number of people who choose to co sleep and choose to do it safely, and it's an intentional choice, and that is awesome. There are a, there's a big subsection of co-sleepers whose kids are in their bed because they haven't figured out any other way and who are yeah. not happy. And if right. you are one of those people, then here's some strategies. But if yeah. you are if you if it's an intentional choice and it's what works, then end of story. There is no yeah. there is no solution needed. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that Um, totally makes sense. And, you know, think about this from a, from a global perspective, you know, uh, Western culture is, is one of, is kind of uh, unique in that we don't sleep next to our kids. I mean, that's, it's just not really what we do here. Most of the time, most people, um, it's not really accepted culturally, but, but worldwide it's common. So I like to think about that sometimes when I'm thinking about what's right or wrong, it's sometimes nice to remember that we're not the only, you know, Americans and Westerners in general aren't yeah. the only people in the world and we're not, we don't necessarily always have it all figured out. It's more about, like you said, like how is it something you're doing because you want to do it or because it's working for you? No matter how you fell into it, a lot of people ended up co-sleeping just because they couldn't get any sleep any other way and they right. fell into it. But once you're there, do you have to stop just because it wasn't what you meant to do right. or, you know right. what I mean? Or what, is it better just to stick it out? Um, I yeah. think it could go either way. The book I found, by the way, it's called the no cry sleep solution. And mm-hmm. uh, the author's one. name is Elizabeth Pantley, but she yep. has a version for toddlers. I'm pretty sure. Okay. okay. So, um, then that's geared more toward, you know, like, so now here's a situation. I have a baby right. who won't go to sleep. He's, you know, 15 months old, right. um, who won't sleep through the night for what, wherever he's at. Um, and she has solutions for that. And I thought, I thought it was a good book cause it was a very compassionate, yeah. And not judgy at all, depend, you know, regardless of where yeah. you are. Well, I was also going to say that I want, I always want parents to keep in mind that they're, that sleep is a huge industry in this country and sleep solutions, sleep products. Like there's a lot of incentive for people to always be coming up with new ways to get babies to sleep. And mm-hmm. I guess the judgment or the lack of support for co-sleeping kind of goes along with that. Cause if you just mm-hmm. sleep with your baby in your bed and, and you like it, there's really no book. Right. <laughs> there's no system right. to be purchased. So I would just kind of like people to keep that in mind. Like there's sleep is one of those things. There's, they're always still figuring out new things about new research and right. no one's really totally got all the answers. Um, and the, the different solutions, if you will, are as unique and as varied as the babies mm-hmm. themselves and the families. So I don't know. I guess that's my Yeah. No, I agree. I was going to say a couple a couple more quick things. Um, number one, I didn't say when I started talking that I did not sleep, co-sleep with any of my babies. So you and I, it's one of our areas where we did things a little different. But, um, but I don't have any anti-co-sleeping <laughs> feelings at all. Um, yeah. I was also going to say that um, Amanda told us, she wrote us a great email where she was went into detail about their very unconventional schedule. She does work an overnight graveyard shift and has mm-hmm. to sleep during the day and doesn't really have childcare support during the day, a little bit, um, but, and then her husband's on duty during the day. And it was really beautiful the way they're making it work. And I would say when, when the schedule is a sort of looks different or non-traditional and the time that you have with your kid is when you're also supposed to be sleeping and they are still napping a fair amount because they're little. I mean, to me that even more would make sense that you find a sleep solution. That's just really natural with the rhythms of your, you know, like it doesn't, the books that advocate a six 30 bedtime for your one-year-old who's going to sleep 12 hours and then you're all going to get up and go to daycare and work in school is not going to apply to you because that's not what your life looks like. So why should, you know, I I would say that's a a vote for really trusting what works because you already have this, you know, unconventional schedule. And it can Um, be a, it can be a really great bonding time, especially if you're spending time away from your baby during the day and it doesn't last forever. I mean, 
this is, we'll say this about any phase, right? But 15 months old, that you can start to feel like that is the, that year starts to drag that yeah. second year. And it can really feel like this is never going to end. This is yeah. always going to be the way it is. And here we are to tell you, it will pass a lot yeah. more quickly than you would even anticipate. And you might get to a point where it's just not an issue. Like you can yep. easily move him out of your bed and he's excited, you know, to move yep. into this other bed. And, and so you don't have to put yourself through the ringer now, right. unless there's a really compelling reason for unless you, to you yeah unless it's time and you will know when it's time like when nobody's getting any sleep and nobody's happy right it's time I feel like that was always the prompt for when I needed to do some sleep training or shift something was when we were all truly miserable and then it's like okay well we need to do something different because this isn't working but from Amanda's email that isn't the vibe that I was getting exactly necessarily. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think, I don't know, cause I didn't co-sleep, but I would imagine in the Elizabeth Hantley book and in other resources, there are still ways to help toddlers feel like there's a routine and a structure even, and maybe some expectations about sleep and falling asleep, even when you do co-sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean like, oh, yeah. so if she's feeling like, like kind of, she's got to be at the whim of when he's tired and then they all have to get in bed. I think there, there's probably some good strategies there for co-sleeping families to still put some routine and and ritual around sleep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Megan. Well, that was really fun to, um, I guess, hop in our time machine and listen to ourselves from the way back. (laughs) Um, But we actually put this list together from about, this was less than half of the sleep-related questions we've answered over the years, and we didn't have time for them all. Um, when, when pulling this together, we found questions about dealing with early risers, um, nap schedules, how to keep kids in their room who keep coming out at bedtime. So we will link to all of those in the show notes. And just a reminder too, that, um, when you're on our email list, when you're following us on social, it's, it's another good way to get these, um, just reminders about all the vast content we have Mm -hmm. in the archive. So um, hop on our email list and I will round up all the sleep questions in the next email newsletter as well to make it easy. And they will be in your show notes as well. So Megan, this was really fun. It's very fun to sit across the room from you instead of across the country. It, it is. It's very different. Um, I've had to sneeze now for this entire oh recording session. Surprise. And at home, I would just hit the little mute button right, and go ahead and sneeze. But I can't because your mic will pick up my sneeze. I mean, so as soon as we get off, I'm going to go blow my nose. It's all different. <laughs> it's so different. We don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, uh, we will be back with everybody next week. It's one of those um, unusual weeks where you have to go a whole seven days in between episodes. So maybe a good time to dig one up from the archives. If you need more of the mom hour in your life or come find us on Instagram and chat with us there or in our Facebook group. And again, links to everything will be in the show notes for this episode, which are right where you are listening right now or always at themomhour.com. So Megan, I will, um, I'm going to go let you blow your nose and we'll talk to everybody next week. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get the essential calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. 
Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.